Well, good morning and welcome to all of you again, especially if it's your first time. We're so glad that you're here with us, joining us this morning uh, as we've been worshiping together. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's Graduate Recognition Sunday is a great Sunday. Uh, and for those of you that have been in, as part of the church uh, for a while and maybe you've seen these kids grow up, it is a day that makes you feel, well, just really old. Like, they're graduating this year? Really? Uh, you know, uh, with the exception of Denise, uh, most of you know that I was a student minister here for several years before I took over as campus minister. And so with the exception of Denise, uh, I was a student minister uh, for the three girls there. And, uh, you know, without me, well, they probably would be in the same exact place that they are. So, uh, but, <laughs> so congratulations for enduring uh, my time. Hey, uh, we are smack dab in the middle of our family life message series, uh, and so far we have talked about uh, marriage and we've talked about parenting, and man, these are two things that are just, they're really difficult, and they require constant attention and work. Do you agree? I mean, there, is, there are no days off in your marriage. There are no days off when it comes to parenting, and your kids will make sure of that, Right. And while those two subjects are are relevant for a big portion of our congregation, you know what? It's not everybody. You might not be married. You might not have kids yet. And so those might not be relevant for everybody. But the topic we're covering today, oh, it is. I think it's one that we're all involved in, some more than others. I mean, sometimes this can get a little heated, a little spicy maybe, and most of the time, let me tell you, there is a lot of passion involved. Friends, this morning, I hope you're ready because we are going to talk about conflict. We're going to talk about conflict. Now, when I took that pause, did anybody get nervous that we were talking about something else? I think there were some kids sitting with their parents that were like, nope, I'm not, I'm leaving. Uh, it's conflict. And, and from babies uh, to graduates to the oldest person in the room, we're not going to call that person out, but you know who you are. Uh, we've all been involved in some sort of conflict. That's because everybody in the world is affected by conflict in some way. Now, conflict can come in many different forms. It can come in the form of a simple, simple disagreement between friends, or it can be sanctioned violence between two countries. It can mean friendly competition on the ball field, especially with church league softball for some reason, or adversarial resistance on the battlefield, and sometimes it's hard to tell what's worse. Uh, On a spiritual level for all of us, we're all at conflict with God because we're all sinners. Everybody in here is a sinner, and we are all in a conflict with God because of that. Now, conflict within yourself, it leads to confusion and uncertainty. Conflict within a team can lead to dissension and bad results. Conflict within a church can cause hurt feelings and division. Maybe some of you have been through that. And conflict within a family can lead to deep wounds from anger, from stress, alienation, and divorce. Conflict is a given for all of us. We're all going to go through conflict. But as believers, the Apostle Paul says that we must strive to live in peace as far as it depends on us. And that's it. Full stop. No classifications. No unlesses. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, even as Christ followers in our family life, there is simply no avoiding conflict. It's coming, whether you like it or not. There's definitely conflict between siblings. Uh, There's definitely conflict between parents and their kids. 
And there's definitely conflict as part of our marriage relationships as well. You know, we might start out with these great, big, romantic dreams like Cinderella and Prince Charming, but pretty soon the arguments and the disagreements come and we turn into a pumpkin. No matter how romantic things may start, conflict will eventually visit our family because we're human and we're different and we come from different places and we have different thoughts, we have different wants and needs, we're different people. And for this reason, it's important that we recognize, it, recognize the causes for conflict in our relationships and have a strategy for dealing with them when, not if, when they arise. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the story of two men who are building houses. Now, the foolish man, he builds his house on the sand, while the wise man, he builds his house on the rock. And the rains came down and the floods came up. And the rains came down and the floods came up. And the rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand fell flat, but the house on the rock stood firm. Man, somebody should make a song out of that. It's kind of catchy point is the same storm it hits both houses with the same amount of force and the difference in the resulting impact had nothing to do with the force of the storm but all to do with the solidarity of their foundation and so today we're going to be talking about how God's word is the foundation for how we deal with conflict in our family whether it's conflict in your marriage or with another family relationship you know, we've been in the book of Ephesians a lot for this series, and well, today is no different. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, will you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 to get ready for our main text this morning? You know, we've been in chapter 5 for this, we've been in chapter 6, now we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to be starting in verse 17, but just before this, Paul has been telling the Ephesus believers there earlier in chapter 4 that they must be united with one another through Christ and in Christ. And when that happens, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And wouldn't that be something we would want in our families, to build each other up through love? And then Paul continues, starting in chapter 4, verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is, that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through de deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You know, as we think about conflict in our families, I think it's important to heed Paul's words here and stop handling conflicts the way the rest of the world does. As Christ followers, we have the way that we handle conflict, especially in our marriages and in our family relationships, it should look different from the rest of the world. Basically, Paul is saying here, you know better, so start acting like it. You know better, so start acting like it. I mean, how many times have you yelled that at your kids? You know better, so start acting like you know and here Paul is saying the same thing to us, and he's not wrong. And continues on in verse 25. He says, therefore, since you know better, 
and you're going to start acting like it. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed by the day, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Now, before we get to applying the details of what Paul has written here to the conflict that is in our own families, I think it's important to see where the conflict is coming from in the first place. Where does conflict arise? What causes the conflict in our lives? And while there are many more than just these three reasons we're going to cover today, I think these are the three major causes of conflict that might be affecting your family more than others. And the first major cause of conflict is selfish attitudes. Now, I'm going to drop some knowledge on you this morning. I'm going to drop a little bit of truth, and I'm going to be honest, you might, you might not want to hear it. This might be hard to hear. You might, this not, might not be the encouragement that you're looking to hear this morning, but it might be what you need to hear. And here's the truth, that you are a selfish person. Yes, you. You are a selfish person, but guess what? So am I, and so is your spouse that might have just elbowed you in the ribs right now. We're all selfish because human beings are selfish by nature. We look out for ourselves. It's a self-protection mechanism and it's reinforced from our early days. See, when we're young, every time we cry, we get a response. Something that I am being reminded of more and more uh, that I might have forgotten these days. And while we should be weaned off of this attention as we get older, many were not and are not. And so because of that, because people are struggling and getting weaned off of that, that's why Ashley and I have taken the tough love approach with our, our baby daughter, Ruby. And now when she cries, we just say, get it yourself. You can handle this. Okay, not really. We let the dog take care of it instead. You know, a lot of the conflict in our lives and in our families is because somebody isn't getting their way and they get angry about it. But it can also be because only one person is only getting their way. Because if just one person's selfish attitude goes unchecked, man, the whole family can suffer because one person is dictating everything else that the family does, and everybody else just has to go along for the ride. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way in his letter. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And one of the best things that we can teach our kids as we raise them is that they are not the center of your family life. Your kids are not the center of the family, but neither are you, mom and dad. Christ should be the center of our families. Your marriage should be built around Christ. Your family should be built around Christ. Your family life should be modeled after him. And when we love like Christ loves us, we love sacrificially and selflessly. And we work together. And that will help us to avoid conflict. 
Second major cause of conflict is unrealistic expectations. There was once a survey in USA Today with the question, is there a Mr. and Mrs. Wright? And 66% of the people surveyed believed that there was one person, that there was a Mr. or Mrs. Wright just for them. They believed that for every person that there is a perfect match out there somewhere. Now, interestingly enough, according to the survey, the older people got, the less they believed that. 85% of those 18 to 24 believed there was a perfect match, while only 52% of those 75 and older believed it. I guess you get to a certain point, you just kind of give up. Though 52% still believed it. You know, we grow up with this idea that, that somebody will come into our lives and sweep us off our feet and meet every single need and just be perfect for us, that we'll have the perfect relationship and we'll never have any problems and there will be a white picket fence and two and a half kids and we'll live happily ever after. But that's not really how it works, is it? You know, I'm no expert, but I I think that a big reason we have this idea is because of the TV shows and the movies and the books we read and the music that we listen to as we grow up and we think, man, there really is somebody just for me. You know, something about this idea of one single soulmate that's out there looking for us while I'm looking for them, it pulls on our heartstrings and we just romanticize the whole idea. You know, growing up, a lot of us were told not to settle. Don't settle. Keep your standards high. And that's really good advice in some ways because with the right standards, it can prevent us from marrying someone that we're nearly guaranteed to have conflict with down the road. So it keeps us out of trouble. But I also think there's such a thing as too high of standards or expectations as well. And when that happens, we end up loading the burden of those expectations off onto our spouse. And that's not fair to them because those expectations were never realistic in the first place. And as a result, you start punishing your spouse for things that nobody was ever going to fulfill. Nobody, nobody has the perfect spouse and no one has the perfect children. Nobody has a clean house all the time, no matter what you might see on Facebook or Instagram. And the more, real, uh, the more unrealistic your expectations are, man, the more conflict that you are bound to face, it's coming if you don't change your expectations. The third big reason for conflict is unshared goals. Now, when I say shared, I don't mean like you share the same goals, but you don't communicate them back and forth. When we as parents don't share the same goals with one another for our family, conflict is on the horizon. And let me just say, for those who are not married yet, I messed that up. I got to go back. When I say shared, I mean you have the same goals, not that you communicate. I'm sorry. Here we go. All right. Let me just say, for those who aren't married yet, peer marital counseling is so important to a good marriage. Because the right premarital counselor is going to take you through each person's goals for their family. They're also going to talk to you about your expectations for one another. Make sure they're realistic. And they're going to talk to you about your selfish attitudes. So if you're not married already, please, please go through premarital counseling when the time comes. And perhaps more importantly, you need to listen to the answers that are given in those sessions and either work it out or break it off. Because when left unchecked, when you don't want to think about them or you don't want to face those head on, you can almost guarantee that you're going to run into a major conflict about these issues eventually. And when it comes to the goals for our family, the one overarching goal for the Christian family should be to make disciples of Jesus. 
Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for your spouse. And that's what God wants for your kids, that we would all look more like Christ, that we would all live more like Jesus. That is the plan for the family. And when a husband and wife are on the same page with this, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict over church involvement or money management or movies the kids are allowed to watch or friends they're allowed to hang out with or how they use their phone or what dating looks like and on and on and on. And sometimes the reason we don't know each other's goals is because we're just not communicating with one another in the first place. You know, there was once a woman who hung up the phone after talking to her friend, and she turned to her husband. She wasn't happy with their communication. She said, you know what? They're just over there. They're sitting at the kitchen table drinking a pot of coffee, and they're just talking. I mean, why can't we do that? The husband said, okay. Uh, turns off the TV, goes, all right, put on, a cup of co- or put on a pot of coffee. And so the wife does, and all right, this is great. They both sit down at the table with their coffee, but still only silence. They don't have anything to talk about. Well, finally, the man looked at his wife and said, well, honey, call her back up and ask what they're talking about because I don't know what to say to you. Parents, we have to communicate with our spouse and, and talk about the goals that you have for your family and then come together with the goal of pleasing God. And if you're married to an unbeliever, well, then you're going to have to work really hard to achieve that goal of making disciples for Jesus in your family. Because you're either going to be rowing the boat by yourself, or even harder, you're going to be rowing in the opposite direction of your spouse. Now, that doesn't mean that you stop rowing. That doesn't mean that you give up. It just means that you're going to have to row harder. And if that's you, I encourage you, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep modeling Christ-like behavior for your kids and for your spouse. Keep putting your trust in Christ. Let your life be a witness to your spouse and to your kids. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? If that's you this morning, keep pushing toward the goal, Christian parent. Keep pushing toward the goal and don't ever give up. Now that we've covered these reasons that conflict arises, these three major causes, like I said, there's a lot of others. But now that we've covered those and perhaps seen how maybe we can avoid that conflict, let's look at how we can deal with the conflict when it comes. And the first way is to prioritize your battles. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As we said earlier, the ultimate goal of the Christ follower is to love God and do his will in everything. That is our top priority, to love God and to do his will. Then comes our marriage, and then comes our kids. That means, and that means that if you aren't married or you don't have kids yet, your top priority is still the same, to love and to do the will of the Father. Now, this doesn't mean that your marriage and your kids aren't important. Listen to Deuteronomy 24, 5. When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. See, marriage was so important to God that he said he didn't want an Israelite man to leave his home for the first year of his marriage. He he needed to stay home and, and get established and learn how to love his wife and to take care of her. 
Now, before I get a bunch of requests this week, guys, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be writing any notes for your employer for a year off. It's not retroactive. I'm sorry. It's not happening. You know, when serious conflict arises in our family life, we, we need to ask ourselves, what's my priority in this situation? What am I truly trying to get out of this? Is it to protect my pride? Is it to get my way? Or is it to make sure that God is honored in the midst of this conflict? And when we prioritize honoring God, it means that we keep our heads about us and how we handle the conflict with our spouse or with our kids. And that means that we immediately take divorce off the table as an option when we're right in the heat of the battle, when we're right in the midst of the conflict. See, we can't keep the divorce card in our front pocket or our back pocket just, just waiting for, oh man, if he says this or if she says this, I'm going to lay it out there. It's not a strategic maneuver to get your way. It's not a strategic maneuver to win the conflict. And it also means that we don't tear down our kids in the midst of a conflict with them. Because for as disobedient and as frustrating as our kids might be, may we all remember that Jesus loves us unconditionally despite our constant disobedience and our constant frustration. And more often than not, when conflict arises in our family, we should probably just bite our tongues, let things go, and move on. Even with raising kids, we have to learn to prioritize our battles based on how the conflict is going to impact how the child learns to love and to follow Jesus. Now, there are definitely battles that we need to fight. We just don't lay down and just let everything happen naturally. There are battles that we must fight, but so much of our conflict comes from clashes of pride and from personality. Remember, the priority is not for me to get my way in the conflict. It's not for me to win every conflict. The priority is for God to get his way in my family. Second thing to remember when the conflict comes, when it's unavoidable, is when you fight, fight fair. And for this, we're going to break down the words of, of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, obviously, we would love to avoid conflict altogether. We would love to have that marriage that everybody fantasizes about. Oh, we never fight. We never disagree. We have the perfect relationship. And if you have that relationship, well, then I don't believe you. But sometimes, conflict is unavoidable. As much as we love to avoid it, it's unavoidable. As humans, there are times where we're going to have disagreements because we're different people from different backgrounds. And when the time comes... We have to fight fair. And that means that we have to always tell the truth. Paul says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Now, if you see, he also talks about falsehood here. And the Greek word that he uses for falsehood is the word pseudos, which is where we get the word pseudonym or false name from, along with several other words. And when it comes to conflict in our family, each of us must honestly say what we're thinking and feeling with no falsehoods. Bring it out with honesty, but speak the truth in love. See, no good relationship is built on silence, lies, and deceit. But when you discuss it, here's the thing, you can't just put out your side and that be it. When we discuss it, we have to honestly listen to what the other side is saying. So often when we get angry and we get in the middle of the conflict, our ears close and our mouth doubles. We stop listening. So we have to listen to what the other side is saying. We have to be able to verbalize what they're saying, be able to listen enough, not just hear, but listen enough that we can verbalize what they are saying. Habit number five of Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people is seek first to understand and then to be understood. 
And Paul says early in Ephesians 4 to speak the truth in love. And while that's not always easy, it's important to speak the truth, but also to hear it. Let's be honest. And most of our conflicts that happen outside of the family, be it on Facebook or at the water cooler at work or whatever it is, on sports, politics, your goal is to win, right? Oh, man, you're going to see my side of this. I'm going to make sure that I get my side out there. I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to make sure I'm going to try to win you over to my side. I'm really going to try to tear down your argument. But within the family, is it really a win if you just decimate the other person in the process? Friends, there is no mic drop moment when it comes to your marriage or your family. There's only destruction that has to be repaired later. Second thing to remember when we're in the middle of the conflict is to control your temper. For many of us, the the temptation while in a conflict is to get excited and to raise my voice and get all red in the face and I start doing things or or hitting things that I'm going to immediately regret. Now, if you're like me, when I get the words in my mouth, they start crawling up, right? They start crawling up and I know even before it's left my lips, I shouldn't say this and I'm going to regret it. I know it's a bad idea, but guess what? I still say it because I haven't controlled my temper, right? And Paul says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Like a tornado ripping through a town, your temper can quickly uproot and destroy what you worked so hard to build in your family. Unfortunately, our temper can destroy things so much quicker than it took to build it up. And we must choose to let the Holy Spirit flow through us and exhibit the self-control that comes only from Him. So in those moments, when you feel that start coming up, you feel your face getting red, take a deep breath, count to ten, take a walk, whatever you have to do, but control your temper. Next, be a contributor and not a consumer. You know, Paul mentions in verse 28, that, uh, that mentions thieves in verse 28, and thieves, man, they are consumers of the worst kind because they only take, they never give, they never contribute. We have to make sure that we are not being thieves in our family relationships. You know, some of us are stealing from God. Some of us are stealing from our spouse, and some of us are stealing from our families, And a good indication of a thief is someone who is only interested in what they are going to get out of the situation. A thief within a family will cause constant conflict because they're only looking out for themselves. And a family with multiple thieves, well, that's just a recipe for disaster. A fair fight and a prioritized conflict requires that we avoid the question, what's in it for me? And instead, it requires that we ask, what can I do to honor God while we work through this conflict together? And how can I lead my family to honor him? Next thing to remember is to watch your language. Paul says in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. And if you start cussing like a sailor, sailor in the middle of it, or start calling the other person names, or start pulling cheap digs on them, man, you are not building them up. Last week, we talked about the power that our words hold, and there may be no more important time to remember the power of your words than when you are in the middle of the conflict. Sometimes we have to work things out. There's no avoiding it. You have to go to the mat, but that's not an excuse to take the gloves off and just let loose on all the frustrations that you've had building up with your spouse or with your family or from work or just everything that's coming out. You can't just let loose on that person because it's not fair. 
Friends, you don't get a mulligan just because it was in the middle of a conflict. We don't get a do-over just because, oh, well, I was mad. They're going to remember it. It's going to hurt just the same way whether you were mad or not. And so watch your language and watch your words. And lastly, be kind. In verse 32, Paul says to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. It's really hard when we get upset. It's really hard when we're passionate about these things. But even in the midst of a conflict, we have to remember to be kind to one another and fight fair. See, the tricky thing about the closest relationships in our life, so our our marriage relationship, the people that know the most about us, they know the easiest way to get to us too. They know the, the, the things that bother us the most. And, and so when, when you get in the middle of a conflict, if you're not fighting fair, then you start pulling out things just to dig at the other person. So we might not want to fight fair. We might not want to be kind, but I think it's going to help us later if we can. See, when you do, when you fight fair, when you're still kind, you'll still have a friend later. You'll still have a partner later. I told a friend of mine recently, man, I have to be nice to my wife because she's the only chance I've got at surviving these kids, right? And so if you start tearing down your spouse, now you're on an island, and now you got to take care of the kids because she went on a walk, right? It's, anyway. We all have to remember that for the Christ follower, the goal of conflict, conflict resolution is not to win the argument. It's not even, even to resolve the conflict, you heard me. That's, it's not to resolve the conflict. Sometimes we have to learn to live with disagreement. Sometimes we have to agree to disagree. We can, we can love people we disagree with, and people don't really believe that anymore. People, you have to agree on everything exactly the same way, or I can't be around you. But you can love people you disagree with. That's okay. The goal of conflict resolution is relationship restoration, to walk out of that with the relationship restored. And it's a whole lot easier to restore that relationship when you've been nice in the fight, when you've been kind, and when you fought fair. One more way to handle conflict when it arises in your family is to resolve to repent or forgive. There was once an elderly man who was married a long time, and as you often do when somebody's been married 50, 60, however many years, you you go, well, what's the secret of a long marriage? What What advice can he give us? And he said, well, here's my advice. When you argue and you have to be the person that gets the last word, well, just make sure it's an apology. That didn't get in the first. Okay, all right. It's a joke. Anyway, (sighs) I thought I'd just kill it. It's a bad joke. All right, the best way to resolve a conflict, if it can be resolved, is to make it a win-win result. It, It takes compromise. But often you're going to feel like you lost. You're going to feel like a loser after a conflict because, well, remember we're humans and we're, we have a selfish nature and we're going to want to win. And so you might walk out and be like, man, I didn't get anything out of that. And so in those moments, you're going to have to resolve to either repent or forgive. Look what Paul did at the end of this passage. As he reminded the believers at Ephesus how to live in a way that honors God, he points to the sacrifice of Jesus. He reminded them that when conflicts come, there's going to be lies and anger and there's going to be a temptation to hold a grudge. I didn't get my way and now I'm mad. And now I'm going to take this into the rest of my day. I'm going to take this into the next fight. And in those times, it's best to remember the love chapter that was probably read at your wedding or a wedding that you've been to. 
In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that, the, that love keeps no record of wrongs. That's really hard for us to do, right? To keep no record of wrongs, to just forget what's happened in the past, forget when you've hurt me, forget the things you've said, forget the things you've done before. As a defense, we want to keep that record of wrongs so we don't get wronged again. You're not going to hurt me again in the same way. See, Paul says that love doesn't do that. See, love forgives. It keeps no record of wrongs. And my advice to all of you that I heard a few years ago when it comes to marriage is to keep the words always and never out of your conflicts. Because if you start a fight with, you always say this, or you never do that, and you've already stacked the deck against them, and it's not a fair fight from the outset. They're already climbing a hill that you have stacked in your mind because you are keeping a record of wrongs. And how could they ever overcome that? Friends, love forgives and it keeps no record of wrongs. Just like Jesus forgives and he keeps no record of our wrongs. In a conflict, we're going to fight for what we think is right. Which means there's going to come a time where you have to repent or forgive God lets us run away and run our own show. And then we have to turn back to him with a broken and repentant heart. And sometimes that's going to happen in our family relationships. But God forgives every time. And so let us resolve to forgive as Christ has forgiven us and repent as we do in our relationship with him. Friends, as Christ followers, our conflict should be different. We talked about the house, of the, uh, uh, the story of the house on the rock and then the house on the sand earlier, one that you've probably heard before. And if you're like me, you've always thought it was taught as the Christian and the non-Christian. Those, the, the, the wise man was a Christian, the foolish man didn't know Christ. But I want you to notice an important detail in this story. See, the houses are the same. When you look at the houses on the outside, from the ground up, it's the same house. There's no discernible difference in the exterior of each house. See, the difference is the foundation of each house. And so the story is not about the Christian and the non-Christian. The story is about two Christians, the authentic and the superficial. One has truly built their foundation on the rock. And when the storms come and when the conflict comes, they stand strong. But one has not. And there's perhaps no quicker way for the sandy foundation of our lives, of our relationship with, D- with Jesus to crumble than in the midst of a conflict. So friends, let us heed the words of the Apostle Paul and handle our conflicts as followers of Christ and not the way the world does because we know better. So let's start treating our families, let's start treating our spouse like Jesus treats us. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that we can be here this morning. And as we talk about these family relationships, whether it be with our kids or our spouse or somebody else altogether in our family, I'm reminded just how much I'm in need of your forgiveness. Because Father, you could keep a list of wrongs that would stretch across the world. Father, you could, you could be so disappointed. You could be so frustrated in me. You could turn your back on me, and yet you're always there with your arms open wide when I come back with that broken and repentant heart. Father, we've said many times during the series that 
Our families, our marriages should, should mirror the relationship between your son Jesus and us. That we should love unconditionally. That we should, that we should forgive. That we should be patient. That we should be kind with one another. And Father, I, that's so hard sometimes. That's so hard when when the frustrations of this world just add on to the the frustrations I'm having in my marriage or the frustrations I'm having with my kids, frustrations I'm having with my mom or my dad or uh, some other family member. In those moments, I pray that we would always remember that Jesus loves us and he forgives us. And so we should forgive those that are closest to us, that we should forgive all because Christ forgave us. We should be, our families should start to look like the image of Jesus, that we should start living like Jesus through our relationships. Father, I continue to lift up all of our marriages. I continue to lift up all of our family relationships with our, with our kids or with, with our parents, with our siblings. I continue to lift up the family because the family is so important. I hope we realize that. I hope that we would, would work to, to, to fix the things that are going on, that we would take on the conflicts in our family. We wouldn't keep avoiding them and just pushing them down the road, that we would work on the conflicts that exist so we can repair what has been broken, that we can repent of the mistakes we've made, that we can forgive others for the mistakes they have made. Father, I pray that we would stop looking at conflicts as something to be won, something to gain over somebody else. But we would look at, a, at them as a way to honor you, that we would selflessly and sacrificially, sacrificially take an attitude in, our, in these relationships that when we both win, that everybody wins. And that the goal of the family is to look more like your son, Jesus. Father, I thank you so much for your love. A love that has been modeled through your son, Jesus. That you would love each one of us enough that you would send him to this world to die for each one of us. That, we, that our sins would be forgiven. That we could know eternal life. I thank you for the grace that comes from the cross. That all of my sins have been forgiven. And one day, I can spend eternity with you. Most of all, I thank you for your son, Jesus. That he loved each one of us enough that though he knew what was to come, he laid down his life willingly because that was the only way. And so, Father, as we leave here this morning, I pray that we would take the love of Jesus and inject it into our families and into our marriage relationships. We would take the forgiveness that Jesus has provided and put it into our families. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, if you haven't made him the Lord and the King of your life, there's no better day than today to come forward and say, no longer do I want to try to do it on my own. I want to hand it all over to him. I want to submit and make him the king over all of my decisions, all of what I'm going and where I'm headed for the rest of my life. I want to give it all over to him. You can come this morning, repent 
of your old ways and be baptized into a new life. I'd love to talk to you about what that looks like this morning. If you're here this morning, we'd love to place roots here at Gateway and become a member here and be a part of what we're doing in this community and just have the family of Gateway support you and love on you through the things that that life throws your way. Man, we would love to have you here. You can place your membership and I'd love to talk to you about that as well. But if you're here this morning and you just need prayer, you don't have a decision to make, you just need some prayer right now, whether it's in your marriage or in your family or something else altogether, man, God has given us this amazing gift of prayer that we get to communicate with the creator of the universe and bring him into our situation, truly believing that he will make a difference. So I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you're just struggling with something right now and just need lifted up in prayer, I'll be right down front. I'd love to pray with you. So if you have a decision to make or just need some prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. But I invite all of us to stand and sing our final song together now.